<laughs> what was that? Say what you like about Hitler. At least he killed Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, should we start this podcast? We should. I've been thinking about some different intros. Oh, okay. I want some. <laughs> that's that's about as far as I got. Okay. I thought I thought maybe we could do like a fun boxing. Uh, in the red corner. Hailing from Partridge Green, the one, the only, Chris, the Terror Taylor. That sort of thing. And then you introduce me. Hello. <laughs> You're right. And then, and then you introduce me. It's Grant. Hey. Like, like in the same in the same way. I'm not good at that. I know. Why do you make I me mean, do it then? I'm not making you do it. I'm asking you to do it. I don't think we should do that. <laughs> All right. Well, like, because I think our intro is a little bit trite, and I'd like to mess with it a little bit. How about, hello, you lovely people. I hope yeah. you're all snuggled up. It's time I for know. a story. I know. <laughs> Come and sit upon our giant communal lap. Once there and was a Discord, card. and on that Discord they asked a question. <laughs> Owen. What was that question? Um, one thing I one thing I've noticed that I quite like is everyone on the on the one shot network calls their listeners heroes. I see. Like, hello, heroes, and that sounds quite good. We, so we could we be like, can't have that. No, well, no, we can't. We can't have that, can we? Because it's theirs. Hmm. It's a bit like like on the Bugle podcast. Uh, at when Andy Zaltzman introduced it, he says, "Hello, buglers, and welcome to Bugle episode." Blah, blah, blah. But maybe maybe we could get a fun name. Carty Dice Friends? That's us. Carty Dice Hello. Patriots. Hello, friends. That works. That could be nice, couldn't it? Hello, friends. And welcome to episode, what is it, 30... Mm-hmm. One? What was the last episode we put out? Mm-hmm. 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 I think I uploaded it and it was wrong. Yes, I definitely told you the wrong number last week. Mm. Did you see that picture um, of the hedgehog I posted? Wasn't he lovely? I did. Was that, is that a recent one? Yeah. We're up to episode 31. So this is 31? Yes, this is episode 31. Episode 30 was Jackie Tabasco's wedding betrayal. Okay, because I've I've uploaded episode 31 already to Dropbox. Yes. Well, try episode 31B then. I'm confused. I'll let you do it. Hang I, on. I, what can't, I, I can't upload it to Dropbox for you, matey. Patreon party dice friends. I think we're on about sixty-eight pounds. Sixty-nine. Sixty-nine. Nice. <laughs> that could have been nice. Sixty-nine is, is it's, it's the sex number, isn't it? That's funny, I like that. Because it's the sex number. That's really funny. If there's one thing funny, it's sex. Yes, this is episode Grant and Burial at Sea. Grant and Burial at Sea. <laughs> Look, I'm trying to come up with names for us. So, like, for a while, you were, like, the seahorse, the sea lion, the C-section, and then Burial at Sea was one that I came up with. You tell me you don't love it? Tell me you don't love it. I love it. Burial at Sea is going to be my rapper name. (laughs) Right. Um, So I suggest you do the intro, but you go nice with it. Yeah. Welcome them in. Hey guys, okay. folks. Sorry, friends. 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 I hope you're all comfy. Lie down. Wrap the blanket tight. 
how about you do it? You seem to you seem to have a handle on it. Because I get embarrassed. You'd be okay. It's just, it's, buddy. It's just me and you. No, it's not. It's thousands of people looking at me with their ears. It's not thousands. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> ruining, it is. You're ruining it, this twice. It is on a good day. Hundreds. Right. Okay. Hello friends, and welcome to episode 31 of Hearty Dice Friends. I'm Grant Howitt, this is Chris Taylor, and we're here to answer your role-playing game questions. Now get yourself nice and comfortable, pull yourself up a nice mug of tea and a chair, wrap yourself up in a blanket, and settle down next to our role-playing fire, as we get prepared to tell you all the things what are what. How how does that treat you for a new intro? I like it. Yeah, it's good, yeah. I still think I, I think I think you should do it at some point because it's nice to you know yeah. you've got you've got you've got you've got a big reassuring voice. Some days, yes, I do. Yes, like a big bear who knows about dice. <laughs> hmm. Hey, friends. Hey. Hey. It's hey. going to be okay because we love you. It's all going to be okay in the end, and if it's not okay, well, it's not the end. Unless it is the end, at which point you should really start panicking. Well then, that's not the end, is it? Probably. If you've still got time to panic. I mean, there is a fire. Yes. Do not breathe in the fire. <laughs> don't breathe in the smoke. Definitely don't breathe in fire. Remember, Jesus. if you fall into a fire, don't scream. Yeah, you want to keep that down. That is awful for you. Shall we answer some questions? I think we really should. Yeah, Chris, um, lay down a question... Uh, in my answering pot. I will, see if I, can... I will slosh it into your pot. Let's, let's see if we can dredge ourselves up some facts. <laughs> Owen asks, Would you rather start a new campaign with people who are very close friends, or people who have never met each other? Hmm. Which I think is fascinating as a question. I see, for me it seems like it seems like an easy answer for me. I'd rather go for very close friends. But I suppose that implies that I'm also close friends with them. Hmm. Are, am I not close friends with the people in this analogy? In this, I don't know. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna let you choose how to interpret this. If I was very close friends with people, um, then I think that we would like we would have got a, a lot of the awkward um, f- like f- communication rules out of the way beforehand. Yeah. So we would know how to speak to each other. We would know what like soft limits and hard limits are on people, like what buttons to push, etc. And I think that it can make it because role playing is inherently a social activity. It can make it more fun. Yeah. Um, but if I didn't know that that the group of a group of very close friends, it'd be very hard to penetrate that circle. Yes. Mm. Yeah, and you you're fighting against in jokes. Mm. Whereas if they didn't, if they if they'd never met each other before. I could become their role playing god. <laughs> Bless you. Which is what which is what I like to do. It's what I really liked doing um when I was at Game Society would just be to get an entire group of newbies in and then sort sort of bring them over to the corner of the room. I'll be like, You see every every other GM in this newbie session, they all suck. I'm the best one and you lucked out. Now let's go fuck a dragon. <laughs> See, I, I, I very much opted for the for the tutor role rather than the narcissistic overlord role. 
well, that's why we make such a great podcast when we're put together. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I would really like to to run a horror game with people who have never met each other. Mm. Um, obviously, pl- um, safeguards in place with yeah. your X card and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But if I played a horror game with, for instance, you, yeah, you kind of know what I'm about, what I'm, what I might do. Yeah. You have also, you have some like, prediction I'm, levels to there. I'm less scared by you, I suppose. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not like I'm. I I trust you. Yeah. I, I I suppose it's kind of interesting because like at that point I trust you to like to know not to be a dick about this. Mm. So I'd be like, oh, is he, he going to be rubbish about this? Whereas with with a new group, first off, you've mm. got that wonderful thing of they don't really have to role play when four or five random people are thrown together in the yeah. in the stress of the situation. You know what I hate? What's you know that? what I really hate? Um when when you know how a scene has to go but you play it out anyway. Like, okay, we need we need, we need, to, we need to introduce a new character. Um you know this person here. Okay, cool. Let's go. It's like, "Oh, hey, you must be you must be the person I know." Yes, I know you from a past adventure. And it's never any fun. Mm, but with but it with just, new it just people. Happens. Yeah. You know, like, who are you? And that's that's when they get to introduce their character. Yeah, and that's genuinely useful. It's it's not only useful, it's super interesting because yeah. if you're playing in one shots that sort of thing, you've got that level of interpretation. Yeah. Um. So I think what, I think I'm going to. What was the I'm, second thing? Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, it's fine. Okay. So I think it's for me. I would like to play more games with people who have never met each other. Hmm. Um. Because as you say, if if it's people you you know and love already, yeah, that's a fun time. Don't get me wrong. But you're probably not going to be surprised, are you? No, you're not. You're not going to be shocked. You're not going to be surprised. You kind of know the flow of the evening. Also, and it's, it, probably, it's pro- probably not going to be that that special. Yeah, for everyone. Like if you like if if you've been role playing together for the last three years, um, and it's and you have a good session. Well, it was a fun session. Cool. See you next week. But if you've never met each other and you have an awesome session, say, like, oh wow, great. Okay, see you never again. Yeah. And it's kind of it's kind of a one night stand, I guess, but one that goes well. <laughs> I don't know. I've I've never had a one night stand. Yeah. <laughs> Um, they sound very difficult, but like you've got a lot of really nice interactions there because yeah. with people that you love, they've got in jokes, and you're going to be wasting time, as it were. Not wasting. It's, much, it's not. It's not a bad thing necessarily, but there's more. You're going to be less spending game. time being friends rather than playing a game. Yeah. Whereas yeah. it'd be nice to have everybody focused on the game because that's their link to the other people. Yeah, for sure. That works for me. Like I, I often find that if I if I have a GM for for a group of people who've never met or for new players, I don't sit down. Yeah, you got to be more animate. Um, but I will, I will generally stand up for the entire thing, um, especially and, and also like because at cons, I I would never run anything with a complex rule system at a con. And generally, generally, I'm sorry. I mean, and by generally, I mean exclusively. I run my own games at cons. Yeah, because I know easy. them. I know them and can change them, but they're very easy. But but it's, it's like Honey Heist is about, and you can only really maintain it for an hour and a half before everyone's wheels start to come off. Yeah, it's like Wushu. It, yeah, it's it's inherently ridiculous. I think Wushu's actually like I think you can maintain Wushu at a better pace because um, it's got it's got like that pacing mechanic with the dice. Yeah, 
but it is inherently ridiculous. And about two hours in, people are like, bloody hell, it's a lot of bears, mate. Are you sure? I'm sure you want to carry on doing this? <laughs> I've just realised the premise of this is actually insane. <laughs> it's taken me this long, but I think I might have clocked it. <laughs> I'm having hard maintaining my levels of uh, suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Bears, bears can't talk. Criminals. Have you thought about this, Howitt? Honestly, you can't even put a hat on a bear without it falling off. They don't have heads that are the right shape. I like to think they use elaborate hairpins. Mm. Or they have specially cra- no, they don't have specially crafted bear hats, do they? No. I don't think they have thick enough hair for hairpins, you know? That's why they're specially crafted. Uh, they're very maybe fine. They'll, maybe they have chin straps. Oh, that would look darling. <laughs> All in Busby's. <laughs> the Royal Guard. That, that's just like more bear. Oh god, they're bear skin, aren't like, they? It's just like oh, oh, that's that's kind of that's some Necronomicon human flesh bullshit. Oh god, skin. oh I'm so sorry, but, bears um, of the world. But just but that, that's just you like extending a bear. <laughs> huh. I'm I, not sure I, I'm okay I really, with that. No, you'd be fine. I, I mean, bears don't fucking know. I really like wow. the idea of, of um. I mean, they're idiots, Chris. They're less smart than birds. That's not true. That's they're less what? smart than ravens. I've seen one with a hat. And a cravat. That doesn't mean... That's just someone Someone put a hat on it. He can talk. Can, he likes picnic that, baskets. Are you thinking of... Um, oh, are you, are you referencing the documentary Yogi Bear? Yes. Yes, and, and, that, and that small one that followed him around. Yeah, but yeah. got one over on the park ranger every time. Mm, what was the name of the ranger again? Ranger. Oh, just ranger. Because I don't ranger, know. Ranger. Oh, because uh, Dibble Ranger. was from the Dibble was from the um, the documentary about about the about the cat in a hat and a waistcoat. Mm. Mm. Yes, I. I should like to run more games with new people. I should like to be able to also like bring people and effectively be a role playing ambassador. For that, yeah, that would be nice. Like, it's such a wonderful hobby, mm. and it's. It's so hard to access. It's really weird. Like I, th- I think like it's about as easy as buying drugs. Yes, you've got to have somebody in the know. You can't just go to a shop. You, you can't and say, <laughs> say hello there. I'd like a role playing game, please. Oh yeah, here's the book. No, no, no. I, I, I effectively like like being handed handed like cigarette papers and tobacco. No, that's not what I mean. <laughs> I, I want I want to play the game. Oh no, you have to do that bit yourself, my friend. You have to find some other nerds. Oh. Ah, so I mean, unlike on, um, unlike buying drugs, you can just ask on Twitter, and it's not illegal. Yes, but it's you a bit know. weird, isn't it? That's well, a bit weird. I don't know. I'm finding it very hard to buy drugs at the moment. <laughs> 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 I haven't been able to find anyone since I moved. Oh, I've been getting distressingly healthy. <laughs> oh no, I've been exercising. I've been remembering. Oh things. no, 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 no! I've not been exercising. Have you been remembering things? No, it's interesting actually. I used to think that I that I I did a load of stupid shit and wrote and wrote bad emails and forgot to do things because it was high. But I think I might just be a bad person. Oh, that would explain it. Because well, I've not been high in about six weeks, and I still keep fucking things up and forgetting things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think the wastrel was inside me all along. Oh. Yeah. Excellent um, use of the word wastrel. Thank you very much. I've got a question for you, buddy. Ask it. Alessa asks. Best accessory or other unusual physical prop in an RPG? 
So I'm going to argue pretty heavily for the Armitage files. Yep, that's what I was going for too. Because I've not seen anything quite as good as that in the whole of RPGs. Hmm. So do you want to explain what the Armitage files is so for the, um, the uninitiated? The Armitage files is a, is a Pelgrim press book uh, for their gumshoe Trail of Cthulhu system. And what it is, it's a load of bobbins round the twist insane scrawlings Mm. Um, uh, you know there's blood on the page there's ranting about monsters there's all sorts of stuff and what they're designed to do is that you give them you give one page of it as handout to to your players and you go you've just found this investigate and they can look through the paper and go and work out what they think is the most important yeah, and it's at the it's the start of an improvisational tool for an improvised campaign. Yeah, which is lovely. And yeah, it keeps referring back to itself. Yeah, but they also supply you with locations that are mentioned, with mm. names that are mentioned, so you've got NPCs ready. Mm. So it it it's essentially like having a really good friend in the wings, going, "I've got an NPC for you. Quickly, shove them in." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know that place. Here you go, and making you look cool. And they're really gorgeous props to hand out. Oh, as they're well. stunning! And what's really nice is they supply them in both black and white and color. Yes, so you can print them out. Yeah, yeah. Or if you want to have a character role play as a dog, that would work. As I'm well. brutally color blind. <laughs> Just black and white. I'm very sorry. Yeah, it's not. None I'm slightly color blind, you know. Are you? Yeah. How I so? Problems, I have problems with mauve. So, sort of purple, you can't see. Like purpley reds, I have problems distinguishing. Oh, between purple and red. Yeah. Okay. I can tell. I can tell you what's purple and what's red, but I, I like. There's, there's, there's an unexplored hinterland between them where I'm like. Eh. Let's go red. Yeah, I can't see it super well. Oh, that's that's fair. That's not like. I can't tell which color traffic lights are going. Nah. So, like, what are my eye holes is on wrong? Oh. You know how at the back of the eyes you have a hole, and yes. that's where all the light comes in, and then it goes into your brain and seeing. <laughs> I believe that's how it works, Captain Science. Um, yeah, mm-hmm, thank you. That's Professor Science. I'm oh, terribly I'm sorry. I, th- I thought um, you were a military man. I've received a promotion. Oh. <laughs> um, I think a diploma. Uh, yeah. Um, on my right eye, it is it is set in the back, and that's absolutely fine. It's just it's, it's just a hole. But on my left eye, I want you to like. Like imagine it's a donut. Mm-hmm. Put the donut in front of you, facing you, like on its side, so yep. that, like so it's standing up, and then just shift it around like twenty, like bring the left side twenty degrees towards you. Oh, that's what's going on in the back of my eye. Oh, that's that's strange. Can't see shit. No, I mean I have a funny shaped eye, but that's not anywhere well, near the same. Funny shaped eyes, right? That's just what happens when you can't see, right? I guess. I, th- I think. I don't. Know. You've, you've got you've got like a rugby eye, right? Yeah. Yeah, like a lazy eye, which didn't bother growing into a circle. <laughs> yeah, it's just... Oh, whatever. Lackadaisical eye. <laughs> Rather than a lazy eye. A loose eye. Yeah, it's just it's doing its own uh, thing, and it's it's proud of that. It's having a, having a nice greasy sit. Oh. Hmm. Humorous. Um, I I would love to be... I would love to... I would honestly like to write my own Armitage files. Yeah. And have that happen as a campaign, um, which I might do for Spire... Because then we could release it. Yeah, technically. <laughs> technically mm, we could claim that as work. Uh, was it Ken Hyde who did the Armitage Files? You know, I don't know. I believe so. 
he's basically a friend. He's done some work for us before. That should be fine. He is, and, and also, you know, Messiah of gaming. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's like him and him and Robin DeLaws. I mean, they, they have they have the better version of this podcast, from what I can tell. Yeah. Oh, it was Robin DeLaws who did Armitage Files. Sorry, it was Robin DeLaws who did Armitage Files. Oh, it was DeLaws. Oh, okay, brilliant. Okay, cool. Well, I will. Um, he's also done work for me. So there you go. Webs. Give him a little uh, kiss and say, "Could you give us a hand?" Uh, no, no, no. I'm just going to steal the idea. Wow. <laughs> the Sparmitage Files. <laughs> that doesn't um, sound good. No, it doesn't. The Vermissian Doctrine. That's good. Yeah, see? That's, that's... It's, almost, it's almost like I'm a professional writer. Both <laughs> tight and sweet. I yeah, I'd, I'd love to have. I'd, I'd love to have also like to be able to give people too much stuff and have them like poke around. Yeah, I think that could be great fun. Crucially, um, that's, wife... that's the thing. So oh, sorry, Karen. On the subject of physical props, uh, my wife Mary ran a game for um, me and a few friends called The Colors of Magic, which I think you were in the very fir- you were in the first round of it, weren't you, Chris? I believe so. Um, and then she then she ran it properly for a different group. Uh, but she gave us uh, like the idea was that there was a the spirits of magic were awakening and finding people to attach to, and there was something called the Void, which was trying to eat it. It was a mage campaign played through uh, Wad Mortals. I think I've talked about it on the podcast before. And she gave us, um, she had this book called the Codex Seraphinianus. Mm-hmm. Seraphinus? Seraphinius? Um, I think it's Seraphinianus. Mm. Well, it's, 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 got, it's got the word anus in it, and I giggled. <laughs> it's an absolutely beautiful book. Um, it is written by in the 80s by an Italian architect, uh, and it's written in gibberish, a gibberish language, and it has a load of um, references uh, and art of places which don't exist. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's, it's surreal and slightly disturbing. And what she'd done was she'd photocopied a page of that, uh, which has a translation which translates nothing. <laughs> um, and then, like, so it's, it's basically it's, it's translating one set of glyphs into another set of glyphs, and we know neither of them. That's pretty good. Um, I think I think that was it. And so she clipped out all the indi- all the individual glyphs and the shapes and put them in a bag, like LSD tabs. Right. Um, and they were psychoactive in the game, but they also but but, but like. Um, also, one of us woke up with a crystal, and it was she got an actual crystal. And when you held it over your eyes, it was vaguely prismatic, so it would change the way that which which light came through. Yeah. Um, and so, if we wanted to, um, if we wanted to like use the sight to see if the spirits were here, we like, we'd hold the crystal up to our eye um, and look through it, and Mary would describe what we saw. And it was just like it was really lovely that that we kept finding these weird things. I think like one of us had a wand at some point. Where, again, because Mary Mary used to collect crystals. Um, not from a health perspective sort of way, because that's bobbins, but she just likes shiny things. Mm. Um, and so she had like a wand and she had crystal rods and stuff and we got to play with all these things while while we were playing and it really helped cement the game for us. Yeah, prop, um, props really, really do do that. It's really hard. They root though. it really nicely. I'm, I, I've always been more about people than things in my games. I have problems thinking about things. Yeah, but, but think, just, just something tactile. Yeah, for sure. Is 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 a really potent addition to a game. Where do you stand on having an unloaded Nerf gun at the table for for a combat campaign? I don't see the point in it. Well, because like, it's a tactile thing you can carry around. Yeah, but there's going to be pointing. There's going to be knocking over of glasses. Mm. Um, and also, it probably doesn't look like the gun that you're. No, that's you're true. dealing with. What you want is a is a is a real steel fizz wrap. <laughs> well, I think, actually, at that point, at that point, that would be better if, if you get replica Sig Sauer. In, I, uh, I think that would be really game. interesting, actually, if if you had a horror game, and mm. it was you know a sort of very brutal game, 
yeah. you slide an unloaded BB gun across the table. Yeah. And go, there you go. Like, I, I, I think that it'd be great if it represented the gun. Yeah. Like, who and has the gun? Yeah, whoever's holding the gun has the gun. But it's the fact that it makes all the clicking noises. Yeah. And, and it's you can heavy. It. And you can point it at people. Like, again, you'd, you'd have to like like make sure it was completely unloaded. And obviously make sure it's okay, because, you know, yeah. it can't be traumatic having a gun pointed at you. Just throwing I mean, it out they, there. I mean, okay, so like, I do want to recommend every, every um, resource would not recommend pointing a BB gun at someone at a close range. No. Um, I would trust Chris and most of my friends to keep a gun unloaded when we were pl- when, when we were playing around at the table. Yeah, um, I would not trust um, most people to do that. No, that's that's fair. <laughs> Nor would I do it to most people. No, but like think of the weight. Yes, that, that adds to the game when suddenly there's there's a gun on the table, and yeah. that that's what's just happened in the game. Yeah. Um, and I think especially, that could... especially if you can throw it on there, you know, or, or slide it across. That'd yeah, nice. yeah, to get that sort of grinding, like sliding <laughs> yeah. on the bar noise. So I think I think the best accessory mm-hmm. is the Armitage Files slash the Dracula dossier. A gun. A gun. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the most un- what, is, what what unusual physical props are there? I use scarves a lot. Really? Um, I, I so I, I use scarves when I'm doing. Um... Uh, webcam stuff. So if I'm um, if I'm if if I'm playing a game, I'm, I, if I'm playing a game over webcam, mm-hmm. I will because because I, I generally wear a scarf at all times. I, I wear a pashmina most times of the day, and it's quite a useful thing because if I want to play like so like when we were playing uh, Spire, I sort of like I I put on a blue pashmina to be oh I'm an elf here, darling. Oh, I'm 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 I'm, v- I'm very loose. I'm a high elf, and then I want to play the I want to play the, uh, the 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 leader of their cell, so I like got the black pash and pulled it up over my head. Into a hood. And, That's nice. And, and that kind like, of very simple forward. costuming. Yeah, and like um, one of the things which I learned again from improv, which I, pr- I promise there'll be one show I don't mention it, but um, every mask came with a scarf. Okay. Um, or every mask came with a scarf, if you're Norton. And I, um, the, the the reason was is if if you just put a mask on, then you can still see the person's um, hair and their shoulders. And it and it becomes harder to like slot them into a new character. Whereas if you if you cover your so that like the, the scarf was intended to be worn um, over the head, um, not not like tight um, like a like a hijab, but more more just like you you put it over your head and then and then come on stage. Just sort of loose hood, just a loose hood hanging down over the shoulders, and you can sort of like throw it over. You can dress yourself how you want, but it breaks up the shape of you. And at that point, all at that point, all they can see is your um, is your arms and legs, basically. Yeah. And I would be on stage with people, and I wouldn't know who the hell they were, That's because there isn't enough for me. To, like all I've got is their height. And seeing as I'm six foot two, basically everyone's shorter than me. Yeah. Aside from you, so like they're just all one person. <laughs> well, it's well, it's like every child under twelve. You know. Yeah. They're I, all one person. They're all the same age. I was I was recently at a wedding, um, okay. party. Oh yes. And there was an awful lot of kids there. Yeah. And but there were an awful lot of those those kids who have really just just gotten into running. Oh. They've they're that young. They've just gotten okay. into running, and like yeah. they're cute as hell. Most of them yeah. in tiny kilts. I think I, I I do quite like it when we dress children up as little adults. I think that's quite cute. Yeah. But my eye line is so high <laughs> that I was not noticing them. And they were just that... running about, and and they weren't noticing me either. 
because they because couldn't, you're just like furniture. Because I'm just like furniture. So we were both walking into each other. Did did occasionally like they get under your feet and you'd trumpet and run away from the handle. <laughs> it definitely felt like that. Like suddenly ah! I'd have a kid would would run into my leg and then grab it. Yeah. In a sort of like I'm at home base sort of way. Yeah. Oh, I see. They're using you as a um as a as a as a base. Yes. It's like this is. This is awkward. I've got three children attached to my legs. How do I say I don't want children attached to my legs? I'm kicking. I've got a question for you, by the way. Question me. Um, this is so. Um, everyone played playground games when, when you were growing up, and playground games are a fascinating thing because there's no formal guide to playground games. No, you don't buy like they're they're folk games, but um, but it's 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 not like uh, ah, we have come together to play. Um, or even something like Rounders, which is, is kind of as close to a folk game as you can get whilst being a sport, I think. I loved Rounders. I fucking love Rounders. you got a club. Mm. That you like had to bat. throw. Sorry? That you had to throw. Yes, you had to throw it. You, there, was, there, was, there was an enormous bucket of clubs. One-handed clubs. The sort of thing which was like, kind of like Gangs of New York shit. Yeah. They got that, and, and you pull them out. Sorry? Truncheons. Yeah, and invariably, like, a dog had been at it. <laughs> so so yeah. it's like, it, those wooden club had been chewed, and it had, like, it had like, a, like a masking tape handle. And someone throws a ball at you, and you smack the ball one-handed and run. And it was the, it was the one sport I was good at, because I, because I imagine you weren't bad at it. Actually, no, you, you were quite sporty, weren't you? I was up? very sporty growing until, up. Until the accident. Until the accident. Yeah. Which is, like, something something which people say is a joke, but you actually had an accident. It was literally an accident, sports. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> But I was I, I was basically always this tall. I used to be a slightly chubbier boy, so I could never run. But compared to the fucking munchkins in my class, I could belt that thing out the yard. Yeah, you just smack it and then walk round. Because I was the size of a full-grown man at the age of ten. <laughs> Sorry, you were talking about folk games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the point is, no one, no one aside from children teaches these games to, to, to other children, and then they sort of they stop being played. Mm. At that point, so, so so like so like generally, you get um, like you'll watch you'll watch older children playing them. You'll get a rough idea. Maybe like an older brother will teach it to a like to a younger sister, uh, and then they and then that that will be that will be disseminated and passed on. But I'd be interested to, to learn from you the one game which you played which no one else played because the game I played which no one else played is called Rescue. What's that? Tell me about that. I loved Rescue. It was vaguely tactical. Okay. So it's uh, it's team based tag. Um, you have a you have a base and uh, you you have uh, you divide up into two teams and one team um, faces their base and um, uh, counts to one hundred or whatever and the rest the rest of the team spread out and the other team spreads out across the playground and then it's the job of the people who are who are who own the base as it were to catch the entirety of the other team they just tag them and they're caught once you catch someone they go back to the base and they have to stay there. But if you manage to run up to the base, slap it, and shout rescue, and then the current year, <laughs> that's amazing. For so, so it was it was um, rescue was it rescue ninety rescue ninety six I think rescue ninety five was what was what I used to say when I was playing it. <laughs> um, rescue ninety eight, and you play, and that would free everyone who was on the base. Oh, okay, and then they'd run. So there was kind of an interesting way because like it wasn't played for points or anything; you just played. Yeah, but there's um, but there's a dynamic there. Yeah, and so so like you played and then you swapped sides, um, and um, there was there there was a tremendous amount of fun to be had because it was stealth and speed based. Like if you were smart about it, you could sneak up 
And because because it's effectively a pervasive game, in that it's played in a playground with lots of other games going on and other things happening, you can sort of use those other things as distraction or part of the game rather than we're on the rescue field and this is time for rescue. Yeah. It wouldn't necessarily work if you just played it like paintball. It's the fact that it exists throughout that. And I wondered if, if there was a game which in your school which was like that, which like just no other fucker has heard of. I don't know if nobody else has heard of it, but we used to play steeples a lot. What steeples? Um, so you've got the standard safe area, home base. Right. But yeah. if you're tagged when you're running about, you mm-hmm. stand with your legs apart and your arms out. Oh, like stuck in the mud? Kind of like that. Okay. Um, and you've got to run through, you've got to go through the other person's legs to get them yes. free. Yes. Uh, we, we used to call it stuck in the mud. Oh, right. Because you'd be stuck in the mud. But the wonderful thing is, like, it didn't matter who goes through the legs. So people okay. who weren't playing... Oh, right, right. ...would suddenly go, oh, shit, and save somebody. <laughs> and they'd stop what they were doing, save somebody, and then go back to what they were doing. Yeah, I'm all right with that. We had a, um, we played a Nerf war with my, um, with my extended family um, on, on my wife's side when we went to Cornwall a few years ago. Um, and like it was, it was an objective-based game called. It was capture the flag game around tea towels called, and I quote, "Tea towel panic," which I like <laughs> a great deal. Um, but it was great because like um, I sat down with my nieces and nephews. I was like, "All right, guys, we're gonna, we're gonna design a game. Let's do this." And so like we wrote a game together, and we played it, and we tweaked it, and we you know we it was it was a great deal of fun. But um, uh, Mary's father, um, he he's getting on a bit now. He, he didn't he didn't want to really take part in a Nerf war. But what what he could do was wander around and pick up a load of bullets because they were really bright colours and easy. Like his eyesight isn't great, but it's pretty easy for him to see. And so, Granddad became a walking ammo dump. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> in that, in that, if you ran out of ammo, you had to sort of get to Malcolm, run up and run up and poke him. You just throw some darts in your hands. <laughs> <laughs> but that's um, I I had a lot of time for rescue, and I have a lot of time for these games which are invented with no and and, and also things like one of the things which bothered me. Um, kids would start making up their own rules. Mm. Because there's no curation, there's no refereeing uh, aside from like having people who are just doing it themselves. Well, it's refereed so, by community. It's refereed by communities. So, so like, like for example, I think the easiest one I can imagine is you like you know when you were playing um, jumpers for goalposts, etc. Yeah, when you were, when you were kicking a ball between some jumpers to play football, there was an imaginary bar you could kick it over, which was too high. Yes, and that was and like, and it was it was perhaps a foot above the height of the person who was in goal. Yeah, and that was that was fascinating to to see that. I like to have um, the. I remember I I kidnapped two people um, uh, in rescue again. Not, not like a, not <laughs> do like a clarify, please do um, clarify. And they turned to each other and they did some sort of bullshit. Um, uh, like you know how girls did those mysterious hand clapping routines, which boys were never allowed to see. Yeah, uh, they did one of those and then freed each other and ran off. I'm like, what? I don't. What? I don't. That isn't how it works. Have you not thought about the long-term ramifications of this update? <laughs> <laughs> Where was the memo? Where was the errata? But yeah, I, I really liked Rescue, and I've been trying to get people to play it for years. I'm 31, and I haven't played it in 20 years. <laughs> what you should do is just rebrand it as a live game. Oh, basically, yeah. And you can go and play in the woods. It'd be great. Mm. Yeah, and I'd like to... I'd, I'd like, I'd, but I, I, th- I think there's some genuine fun to be had about... Um, like with with folk games and with games which don't require any props, games which use the environment, games which are pervasive. Um, because you know we oh, can, actually, I want to do. I want to segue into two things. Okay, I'm intrigued. 
So um, Chris and I were saying before this episode started that we've, um, we, we're receiving a lot of love for this podcast. We haven't been giving out a lot of love for this podcast. So we wanted to talk mm-hmm. about Kickstarters that are exciting us. Yep. I want, I want to talk about Tiny Dungeon. Yeah, I want to talk about Tiny Dungeon too. actually. That sounds, did I say that right? Or did, I say, did I say Tiny Dungeon? It's t- Tiny Dungeon 2. Tiny Dungeon 2, yes. I, I backed Tiny Dungeon 1, mainly because it has lovely drawings of goblins in it. Yeah, the front cover is what like Insta sold me because there's a yeah. polar bear about to be set upon by a hydra, You're like a polar bear adventurer with some other mates. It's a great it's sword like... and there's runes. I will also say it's uh, I believe it's a D6 system, Tiny Dungeon. Yep. It's really it's really it's really slick. Um, I, I'm not I wouldn't necessarily say that I'd play it because I I have enough um, short burn rule sets on my shelf and in my head as it is, but I can super recommend it in that it's just really slick. It really, it happens and it, it doesn't get in the way. Um, plus, I think it predates the black hack. I think so, and and they've um, got like thirty people doing micro settings for it yeah. because it's designed as a super minimalist game. Mm. It's very easy to just go and now you're all dwarves for this specific reason. Yeah, and I love that. And they've got a load of really cool writers from all who, sorts who, of places. Who they got? Uh, where have we got? Going from the top, uh, Marie Brennan, Steve Diamond. Toby Abad. Anyone I've heard of? Uh, Hang on, I'll I'll tell you some of the games they've made. Okay. Uh, Somebody's from Angry Hamster Publishing. That's fantastic. Okay. Uh, The Dark Inside. Uh, Darren Pierce. Is that about reading Inside a Dog? Yeah. Darren Pierce, who wrote Doctor Who RPG and the Dread RPG. Okay, great. Crucial. The Dread RPG? I thought that was. Dread, as in. uh, No, as in Judge. Oh, right, okay, cool. Um, but like the setting he's doing is Sankara, which is equal parts Prince of Persia, Conan, and Pirates. Oh, great! No. Okay, fine. I'm Super game. on. I'm going. Put that in. Put that in my pipe and light it. Yeah, there's a lot of really cool stuff in there. Yeah, um, I, I can I can recommend it from a rules point and the fact that you get goblins. But the the best thing about it. Oh, the absolute for, best thing. The absolute best thing is for a hundred and ten dollars, a a man who cannot make polymer models will make you polymer models of your entire party. And they're so <laughs> cute. It's worth checking them out. They just—they look awful and lovely, and I—I I, I like it so much. They're really adorable, and it's—it's it's such an earnest thing to do. Yeah, and they're like cute versions of adventurers. Yeah, yeah they're all—they're all big and yeah. squidgy looking, and I'm so that, on board. That is our recommendation. Yeah, get, get, get you some tiny dungeon. I don't want to make recommendations a weekly thing because it might not always be something that, that we want to recommend. No, but if there's but, something that catches our eye, yeah, I think I think we should we we should be excited about doing that. Mm. Um. Mainly just so it gives me an excuse to talk about Necromunda on the podcast some more. When that comes out, yeah. Yes, well, when it when it's up for pre-release, at least. Yeah, and then again when it comes out. Mm, I can't wait. Um, let's get back to the questions. Let's. Bell asks, how to introduce a time-travelling paradox into a game? So, putting time-travelling in your game, super easy. Yeah. Congratulations, there is now hang, dinosaurs. Hang, is it? Yeah, congratulations, you have gone back in time, now there's dinosaurs. Oh, uh, okay. So like, like, like moving people, moving people backwards in time. Yeah, backwards, forwards in time. Not oh, a okay, problem. Yeah. yeah, you die instantly from from a mega virus. <laughs> a paradox. Mm. That's super hard to do in a game. It's very difficult. You, I think you might have to simplify it down. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use my rationalization from betrayals I had last week. Is that is that you work out why this has happened? Yeah. Um, like you, you bring in facts and then you work backwards rather than 
you try and extrapolate from 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 the butterfly um, flapping its wings yeah, like, to cause a hurricane. We killed the dinosaurs a hundred thousand years too early. Right. What does that mean? That's super difficult. Know. Yes, I don't know at that point. Um, I guess at that point, ask the players. <laughs> hope ask the players. Hope none of them have a degree in this sort of shit. Or hope one of them does and can explain it. Yeah, well, it's always a problem. It's always a problem when a player knows more more than the GM. <laughs> it's all the time when I GM. That's why. That's why I don't need established settings anymore. <laughs> I ran that one game in Discworld, and the player was like, "That's not where it is." It's like, I don't care about this anymore. I hate you. <laughs> wow, <laughs> you just ruined the game. Strong. Mm. Um, I I don't know. It's really hard because. Like one of the things I've always wanted to work into games is prophecy. Mm. I've, I've always been fascinated by prophecies, and also like how the idea of a self-fulfilling prophecy, or the idea of like, well, you, like you only did it because you were because you said you were supposed to do it. Yeah. Uh, but then at the end, ah, hang on, maybe maybe it's more complicated than you first thought, or like or like using prophecies as effectively spells. So, like, um, uh, Andage has decreed that when the fourth bell rings, the Empire shall fall. Right, we've got to ring those four bells, guys. And then the Empire falls because of X. And the Empire falls because of X, but it's, it's like, we need to meet the condition, like, we need to speed up this prophecy. But the problem is, in role-playing games, you have free will. It's like the real world. And so it's very hard to prophesize things and get them right. If you get them entirely right, it's boring. And if you get them wrong, there's no point. The interesting thing about prophecies in games is uh, in um, in stories is when there's a surprise or a twist halfway through or towards the end. So it's like, oh, that's what it meant. I see. Yeah. Or like they they go, no, I shall never ring those bells. Yeah. And then they end up ringing the bells. Yeah. They they accidentally um like pull a string which they think was summoning a waiter with a cup of tea, but in fact it's ringing a giant bell. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, they fall into a bell from a great height. <laughs> um, oh God, oh God. And also, like, hard enough to make it ring as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you better hope that's a small bell. Oh, I, um, now, that, that, that really works um, with the benefit of scripting and rewrites mm. and um, storyboarding, but we don't have that in role-playing games. Um, I think that I think that one way... I'm actually answering a different question here. But I think that one way you could do that, which would be very interesting, is to write those prophecies into the characters from the start. Mm. In that, um, like, you say to a character, when the world ends, you will be wearing red. And at that point, then, like, they're like, well, I'm not going to put on red until the world ends. But they can, like, they can use that Mm, in a way that, like, yeah. oh, actually, I, I want to. So it's like, um, just to reference my own game, Sean Bean Quest, <laughs> which has this in. <laughs> so in Sean Bean Quest, when you roll up your Sean Bean, you roll up um, your, your, your Sean Bean's means of death. Okay. Which is either, it's like beheading, impalement, um, torn apart by an animal, that sort of thing. And then whenever you interact with that sort of thing, you get an extra dice because you draw and you draw a power from the death energy. So, like, if you're, t- like I think in the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast where they played it, um, one of the Sean Beans was, was going to be torn apart by was going to be torn apart by a tiger, and they had to persuade a mayor to let them put on a show. So the character walked in and says, "Walking in, I try and persuade the mayor to put on the show. I calm, I, I, I calmly stroke his tiger for good luck." <laughs> <laughs> And um, I think like giving players the capacity to push those things forward could be interesting. But paradoxes, no, no, that's that's my standing on them. No, 
I think I think it's it's so difficult. I mean, one way to do it would be in a very scripted adventure. Yeah. Um, and then well, have an adventure at that point, is it? Well, no, but you could have swap out characters that are just different now hmm. because now they're fish people because we evolved that. Okay, maybe, yeah. maybe maybe we're looking well, too big. That's actually also that's not a paradox, is it? That's 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 just changing the past. That is true. I think what Bell what Bell's asking here is ha- is having something which doesn't fit. Yeah. So like uh like I you know um I I went back in time and killed my parents. Yeah. I think I'm a I'm a fan of the theory that once you step inside the time machine you generate your own timeline. Okay. Which is not a theory that many people share because it's false. The back to the future. No, not really. In that so let's say I can go I, I can go back and forwards in time. Yeah. My parents um my parents made me and I got a time machine and then went back and killed my parents. I'm from my original timeline. I still exist because I'm here. But my parents are now dead. And right. then I carry in this on alternate timeline, they never Basically, give birth yeah. to you, but you are from a separate timeline. Yeah, I I'm from the future so I'm still here. Uh, and I now exist in this. I've, I've changed it, but I exist. So it's 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 almost like we like we were on different sides of a house, but now I've come around to their side of a. Now I've come around to their side, as it were. Right. Um, so like you could meet yourself, then kill yourself. And what happened is I killed myself. Yes, that, you, you that's, killed that's the one could, from yeah. this timeline, not yeah. your timeline. Therefore, you're still there. Yeah, I think that rather that's than more, is that not yeah. more just is that not more multi-dimensional. I guess so, but it means that you don't have to worry about paradoxes because yeah, it happened. And the thing happened. Yeah, and it, like it's it's hugely unimaginative and not very fun to play with from like a screenwriting or a script writing perspective because you don't re- you don't necessarily get that trick or the or the whole sort of like oh I'm fading out oh if my parents don't fuck I'm gonna die I gotta get my parents real horned up <laughs> gonna get the buck fast. <laughs> But then how do you introduce that into a game to make it fun? I think that's that's just what occurs, I guess. And like every action the players make sets them up on an alternate timeline. Um like I think you'd have to like you'd have to try and keep those alternate timelines or like you'd have to have the players soul bound in some way. So they are like they all move through through their own timelines in the same route. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it's there's such a huge amount of variety that you can't that you either have to make it not exist or abstract it out to such a point where it's just it's just like a rule for anything else. Yeah, it's it's a super hard narrative thing to get into a game where yeah. there's five people sitting around a table. There's a really lovely game. Um, I can't remember the bloody name for it, um, but you play temps who go back and forwards in time. Because um, it is uh, like you you go back to, to effectively fight time crime. The temp temporal. Yeah, the temp temporal. Um, I think it's it's called something like 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 uh, like like tempus temporalis. I'll I'll see if I can look it up. But the put it in like the, the show notes. The gag, yeah, sure. I'll put it in the fucking show notes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the gag behind it is that the agency hires temps because important people going back in time disrupts the flow of time. Oh wow. <laughs> I'm like, I've been a temp. I, I appreciate that. I get it. Yeah. In that, in that, while you're a temp, you do not have a massive impact on the world. So, so you can be sent back in time. So the way it handles time travel and paradoxes is that it gives you superpowers you can use. Basically, so like you can, if you if you fuck up a roll, you can go back in time and try it again. Oh, that's neat. Um, 
and for each one of these you mark, you add another dot of paradox, and then I think it's like if you if you complete a line or if you fill up a grid, then you basically explode. <laughs> Um, but Subtle. my favorite, like my favorite one, you can do is um, you can bring in as many versions of you from the past and future to help uh, with a task as you like. Assist but another, will, but assist yourself. Yeah, but you will explode from paradox if, if you do too many of them. That's really and neat. so, and so, like that basically handles it as a it ha- handles paradox as a resource, and I think that like taking it from a like the idea that the the time the time stream is flexible and malleable but it will it will snap back to what is in inverted commas the true time paradox yeah and so and sorry the, the true time stream and so you can you can fuck with it a bit but if you if if basically if it notices then it's like nope and just and basically it's like white blood cells okay yeah uh, it, it cleans you, itself it cleans itself like, yeah, like an elemental force which is a bit narrative but um, I think that's probably the easiest way to handle it, honestly. Yeah, exceptions have to be made when you're trying to do this yeah. in, a, in a communal storytelling space. Yeah. Plus, also, it requires you to think in a fourth dimension, and I have enough problems with the three. Yeah. You're more of a two-dimensional uh, person. Yeah. I, well, I can't see in three dimensions. Got that depth perception issue. Yeah, well, the whole sort of donut eye gives me that problem. So I, I only ever really see anything as sort of a flat plane. And so, <laughs> so the idea of seeing things in terms of time really throws me off. Why? Yes. Um, so, to, how to best introduce a time traveling paradox into a game? Don't. <laughs> or if you do, try and have a have a bit of research into games that do that well, <laughs> <laughs> which we can't tell you about. I'm guessing things like Time Watch. Yeah, you know what? I haven't read it. It's on, it's on my bloody shelf. I haven't read it yet. You really should. It's got a dinosaur yeah. on the cover. Yeah, it's true. That's, I mean, that's that's a that's a that's the rule you have for all your books. That you <laughs> it's a, a solid intro to any book. Cool <laughs> dinosaur. I'm in. I'm in. Um, Sir Vampire from Reddit, and that's vampire with a Y, which is the best spelling of vampire. Sir Vampire asks, "How to write an interesting adventure?" Well done on the voice. Thank you. I like that. Bit of a generic question, this one. Mm, but that's why I liked it. Mm-hmm. Well, are you prepared to answer it? I'm, a pre- I'm prepared to make a start. I'd like you Let's to contribute. Go. Well, we'll see. <laughs> so, the first thing you need to find is the nugget. The kernel yes. around which all adventure is built. The good idea. The good idea. The cool thing. Mm. That's your start point. Shall we write an adventure now to prove it? Let, let's write an adventure now. Okay, what's 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 the setting is um, mystical Wild West. Mystical Wild West. Okay, yeah. all of the native uh, people of the area have disappeared. Mm-hmm. Oh, they've just native. they've just gone. Now that's an interesting one because some folk are gonna think that's a mighty fine thing, mm-hmm. but some good thinking folk might think that's a problem. Right thinking people. Mm, right thinking people. And so that so that so that's that's, that's kind of like the, I suppose like that isn't that isn't the kernel. That's the lead-in. That's the setup. Yes, but also it the gives, kernel it, is where they've gone. Yes, but it gives you an interesting uh, set of environs to play in. Hmm. So you've got your frontier towns and whatnot, but you've also got these yeah. these abandoned uh, areas of the indigenous population. You've got sort of ghost towns yeah. that have suddenly arrived. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I like the idea of um, 
I like the, 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 the other thing as well, which, which you need you, you need that nugget, you need that kernel. But I think the way to write an interesting adventure is to either specifically tailor it to the players or to provide hooks and specifically ask the players to attach themselves to the hooks. Yes. I mean, that's, so, that's what things like um, the Armitage files that we spoke of earlier mm. do very well because you personalize the hooks based on the players. Yeah. So like, 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 like for example, saying um, one of your... Um, so one of you has a sister who married into one of the indigenous peoples and she's gone too. Who was it? What was her name? What, Clara. Um, um, okay, brilliant. It was Clara. Now, which one of the rest of you um, always loved her and wish she hadn't moved away? That would be James. Uh, it was James. Oh, James the preacher. Well, mm-hmm. he's a failed preacher. Devil took him. Had the had the devil in his belly from all that rock gut whiskey he was drinking. Um, <laughs> You're just happy we were we went with Wild West Frontier so that you could do the voices. I yes, I'm allowed to do American accents. I think. <laughs> I think you are. Because <laughs> they they're, they're in charge. That's fine. <laughs> um, plus, I I started watching Westworld last night. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, it's alright actually. Good. Bit rapey, honestly. Oh. Like right from the off. It's like rapes? I'm like, could no. you not? Could you like could we get in seven minutes without a rape? That'd be no. great. Yeah. Um but you know, it's got um what's his name? It's Anthony great Hopkins. because half the people in Westworld can really fucking act. Yeah. Like it's um, a potent cast list. Anthony Hopkins. like Obviously incredible. Like, it's a really fascinating line of people who are great when you put them next to each other. And the other half of the people are simply there. <laughs> there's, there's one woman who acts solely through pointing, and I don't believe she's heard English before because no. her intonation's all off. And it's just really, it's really wonderful. Like, like having having these having a really daft sci-fi story, but also occasionally having just two people who can't act being forced to push a scene forward. <laughs> Like the, you, you can you can physically feel the director making the best with what they've got. Anyway, um, so uh, so James is a preacher man, and well, he he was a preacher man, and the devil took him, and so now I like to believe that he's got some sort of like like he's got the devil's own luck power in terms of in terms yeah. Of but what you're doing there is you're writing the characters. Oh, hear me out here, right? Okay. I'll write the characters for sure. What I'm what, what what I was about to get to is when you have character hooks like the. Someone's just yelling in the back garden. Um, what when you have those when you have those characters, then you start hooking the adventure around them. Yeah. Um, and so, like that, I think I'm just getting a bit excited about the idea of playing a fallen preacher. But the idea is that cool. Okay, so like we know James one always loved Clara or Claire, whatever her name was Clara. before she left uh, Clara. Um, and also, like he's probably interested in faith. He's interested in magic. He's interested in the weird elements of the setting. So like we can up the weird. Yep. Around him. Sorry, my entire house is full of people shouting. Good. Well, not, not my house, my like, the environs around <laughs> so my house. So you let them in? I'm just going to wait until I stop shouting in the corridor, if that's all right with you. That's fine. They're never going to stop. Oh, they've moved into the back garden. Okay, brilliant. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Um, We've got one hook down here. What what happened? Or more excitingly, I guess, what are the four things that happened? The four things. So, like, the, like the point is, I think one of the ways to, one of the ways to write an interesting adventure is you don't just have one path through it. You've got like you think of it in terms of what was the idea of um, island adventure design? I read I read a website about it recently, and so the idea is that you view your plot as a series of island like floating islands. Okay. 
Um, and so, like, like your players start off um, in on 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 the mainland, and then they have all these islands floating around, which are like this NPC and this location and this event, and or like this fact, this plotline. And then you realize that if they want to get to this plotline, well, we've got to lead them onto it somehow. But we can set it up through these three things. And what you're doing is rearranging the the parts of the adventure so that it's like so so it all sort of joins up. Okay. Um. But one of the things which which I've really enjoyed is not having like. Here are three reasons why it might have happened. Pick one. Yeah. Um. Uh, here are here are ten routes into this bit. Um. Like the like the the Alexandrian recommended having three clues for each for each mystery. Mm. Um. Don't just have okay. So once the players find this, the game can continue. Like. The idea is that you want to be pushing this forwards. You want you want people to find this, so you want to drop this in when you can. You don't necessarily have to run up and put it and put it in their laps. But the idea is like I think it takes the it takes the idea of um, I think the way you write an interesting adventure is to take throw out the idea of writing an adventure which the players move forward and bring in, bring into your head the idea that you you have a set of things which, you, which is your job to push at the players as much as possible it becomes a reactive or an active rather than a passive thing yeah but build yourself a toolbox yes rather than a a linear ad- adventure well, it's, it's almost like it's it's almost it's more like a sandbox but you get to you get to move around the bits yeah like it's a sandbox but you get to build castles when the players aren't looking yeah, and think. And one other useful tip is to think of uh, situations and scenes you want to happen. Mm. Not in yeah, scenes we like to see. Yeah, not in like a very specific way. Mm-hmm. But James the preacher is challenged in his faith. Yeah. And um, and, and, and then and like, you can find you, a way to make that happen. Yeah, that's an interesting scene that you've got in your back pocket. Yeah, and also you, like, you can ask James. You can ask, ask James's character, like, "Hey, hey, hey, James! Like, uh, sorry, James's player, what do you what, what do you want to happen to your character? What, what, what are you excited about? Yeah. What, what are you interested in exploring? And then go from there. And that's you know that that lets you that lets you set that up and have and push forward to that. But it also like it means that you can more effectively work with themes. So like rather than writing a scene which represents the theme of this, your theme is birds. So just fucking mention birds all the time. <laughs> You know, or like, like the, your theme is freedom. So have a lot of things in cages. Have a lot of things um, with locks and keys. Have a lot of things with um, people who've earned or taken their freedom. Yeah. And if you keep going back to that, fuck it, write, write the word freedom on the wall. You know, it doesn't like it doesn't necessarily matter. Um, I, I think that like there is a like we because this arose out of dungeons that we have the issue where. This is this is the progression of the thing. Like you can go left and right, you can come back to it, but effectively, this is a puzzle which you must defeat. This is a fight which you must get past. Yeah. And if it's if it's just like, oh, actually, here are the different here are the different tools I have. Here are the different here are the different characters that I can put forward. Here are the different backdrops that that, that I can sling up. Oh, I have a I have an ambush in a valley. Yeah. Like I've got um in in my head i've got a load of bandits rough looking bandits um uh, smoking horrible smelling cheroots uh with big with like with big um pitted bowie knives and a um and what's it called um death valley no not death valley um skulljaw valley <laughs> uh, absolution so gulch so <laughs> why absolution gulch is the sheriff boy <laughs> <laughs> big lad <laughs> big lad absolution's a great name for a boy or a girl mm. 
And so, I mean, perhaps we aren't going to write this live now, um, but um, just off the top of my head, uh, Spirit World. Yep. Um, Fleeing Before a Natural Disaster. Fleeing Before a Natural Disaster. And um, Preparing for an Attack. Yep. Um, And then pick which one of those three sounds more exciting as you go through, I guess. Yeah, I mean, when you're sort of one third of the way through, you'll probably yeah. know what the end point's going to be based on what the players have been interested in. Yeah, for sure. And like and like toying with them and asking them or like seeing, hey, hey, what do you like? Okay, I'll give you some more of that. Yeah. You know, it's not like um, kissing a beautiful woman. <laughs> kissing, actually, it's kissing an average person, really. Yeah. Never mind a beautiful woman. <laughs> Running an adventure is a lot like making love to a average looking person to another human we've got one more question we do have one more question I'm not sure about this one no because I don't understand it so I'm going to need you to explain Anon asks how might a fantasy world handle handle micronations what is a micronation Grant a micronation uh, there was a vice program on it recently which is why they're sort of popular at the moment a micronation is a very small thing which is legally a nation so there is, uh, I believe, the um, the oil um, rig of um, oh, what's it bloody called? Sealand. Yes, of Sealand is a micronation. That it is technically a nation, mm-hmm. um, a sovereign nation, um, but unfortunately, because because these things are generally set up by people with not a great deal of money, they don't survive very well, or they're just right, or they're sort of ignored. They're not really on the UN. Yeah, a bit like the um, a bit like the first emperor of the United States. Oh, Norton. Yeah, bless his heart. Mm. Um, Made his own acceptable money. Yeah. Was that, was that San Francisco? Yeah. Yeah, that, they, they accepted money with pictures of Norton on, which I think is great. I um, I think that there's there's some fun ideas. So, like, one of my things about fantasy is... One of, one of my fun... Um, one of the things I like most about fantasy is that you can take ideas and run wild with them and, and, and be daft. Yes. And yeah, you so as soon like as you want, idea. really. I like the idea of each dwarf being a micronation. <laughs> a sovereign state unto themselves. Yeah, each dwarf is a... is a um, each, each dwarf's armour is a micronation. And um, they can possibly... I mean, you could have allied micronations who <laughs> hang out with you. Yep. Um, like, I'm not... It, it'd be interesting because, like, there's not much... It's not at all different from your rights as an individual at that point. Yeah, but I guess you could be invaded. Yes, you somebody can also leaks your armor and makes off with it. So, like, you've also got the opportunity to have because um, one of my favorite things about fantasy is hovering shit. <laughs> so, like, so you could have a um, you, 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 you could have the micronation of um, Cataclysmia, um, which is um, travel back in time from the end of the world. It's a hovering castle full of evil wizards. Yeah, I and, mean. They are technically their own sovereign state because they don't like they don't they're not on land anywhere. Yeah, interestingly, there's actually a published D and D setting that does this. Mm-hmm. Ravenloft. Oh shit! Yeah, of course. It's just hit me. Ravenloft is a fantasy world, admittedly gothic horror fantasy, mm-hmm. that has micronations. Time. Yeah, and they're all very different politically, and, and they're very hard to get to. Like, yep. like, like you, you can't cross between them unless, like, you go through the mists. How does it work in Ravenloft? Can you, 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 go, you go through the mists. You can cross between them. Okay, but the crazy. the Dark Lord can close the borders. Right. Okay. The Dark Lord is whoever's in charge of that nation. right? Yeah. Whoever's yeah. essentially, um, each land is a prison for a specific person. 
Right, okay. Um, like, a, like, like a hella cool prison. Yeah, but it, but Ravenloft as an entity, yeah. the mists take the person and a replication of their land. Right, okay. And use it, just, it to imprison them in a in a pocket plane, essentially. Like, 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 so, so like, if you get too evil, they just sort of shove you off to the side? Yeah, they, they, they take you out of reality. They, but they also give you like a load of peasants. Yeah. To be buds with. I say buds, eat. Yeah, or whatever it is that you do, subjugate, etc. I've got to say, like, that's such a fucking brilliant idea for like, how do we get every horror trope into a campaign, but keep yeah. it logically consistent? Mm, mist. And also, like, the mists are really interesting because yeah. are they good? Yeah, like, I'd like, well, I mean, like they must be, or are or they, least... or are they collecting all the worst of the world for a mm. reason? I like, I like the way that they're, um, well, I suppose like they're opposed to evil in a way. Mm. We can put that in that they, they, in that they take evil away from the world. Uh, I like the idea that um, good and evil are sort of measurable forces in D anD. d Yeah, because like, and also the same way that gold is a measurable force. <laughs> yes, um, but like you can detect if someone is good or evil. Which is such a fascinating idea. Yeah, it's a wonderful concept, isn't it? How does that? How does that? Like, how does that work? Because I'm, I'm of the opinion there's no such thing as a good person, just good actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do, but like, you, you, you there's, there's people I like, and like, you can be a fascinating person, you can be a wonderful person, you can be brilliant, but you can't be good, as it were. You can only do good things. Yeah. You know, intention doesn't maybe have any say in the matter. Um, and so it's. It's fascinating to have the idea that oh no, I, I can tell this person's bad. It says, but I guess it's more like, do you agree with this person or not? Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like it's kind of like a button. Are you going to get on with them? No. Okay, cool. I'll kill them. I understand. Yeah, but it's Ravenloft is is a prime example of those micro nations. Yeah, and how they're they're antagonistic towards each other, but mm. ultimately can't really do very much because they can't leave yeah. their borders. Yeah. Uh, was it the um the is it the Romani who can who can move through the move between the borders? What they called the Vistani, the Vistani, yeah. So the Vistani are really interesting because they're they're modelled almost bang on to the Romani, yeah. Um, their own sort of specific quirks and whatnot. Mm. But they they they're the indigenous population of Ravenloft. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're from Ravenloft. Mm. Man, that's gonna suck once the vampires show up. Yeah, but the thing is, like the first thing that was drawn into the world was yeah. uh, was Strahd von Zarovich, which is your Transylvania Big Daddy Vampire. Big Daddy Vampire stuff. Yeah. And they just appeared there. Oh okay. What they what they, so he, they they arrived at the same time as, as Strahd. Yeah, so he okay. he ha- he always had problems with the Romani because it's part of the the right, vampire yeah. myth. And mm. so it's like it's like the mists created them at the same time to torment him. Oh cool, okay, I can dig it. And then they sort of spread out and Occupied all yeah. the lands, and they're they're really interesting as a people. Man, I I really like Ravenloft. I I, I played Ravenloft for years. Yeah, I don't think I'd get on too well in a campaign of it because it's pretty fucking grim. But I love reading it. It's it's genuinely it's really nice as a campaign because it's it does points of light better than standard D and D does. That's true. You're like um, in, in, the, in the, you you're, you're literally a point of existence. Yeah, and it's and it does beautiful, wonderful goodness. In a way that nothing else can, because the very land is evil. Yeah. So when somebody does something good, that's wonderful, I and it celebrates we, that. I remember we played a game of um, so we played a plane hopping D and D game back in our first year. Chris GM'd. I was mm. I was I was playing, 
and we went to Ravenloft for one game. Uh, I think Chris put a um, it was a it was like a ghost story. Yeah. Um, story. It was really good fun. Um, but um, our rogue stole something and she coughed up a load of moths. Yeah. And since then, I think I've put coughing up moths into almost every game I've run. Yeah. There's some, there's something so evocative about coughing up a load because like. If they're alive, that's bad. If they're dead, that's also bad. There's no way the coughing up moss <laughs> is a good thing. <laughs> and they're sort of flopping around, and their and their wings are coming apart. Such an awesome image. Yeah. Such a fragile thing. Like worms, I could see why worms would be in me. In a way. You know? Yeah, kind of. You know, like uh, I can see that they might want to hang out in my bits, but um, moths, no. No. Yeah. I like. Yeah, I think it it'd probably handle them in that way. I think you could also do something along the lines of. Um, I think Age of Sigmar does it as well, actually. Yeah, they're not they're not micro per se, but you have like hover you have floating realms, um, in which people go between, so you can have utterly meaningless fucking fights. <laughs> Remember back in the day when it's when it vaguely meant something when you had like a mum. Honestly, no. I just, I just, I liked it when it was like, ah, this is this is the land of Tilia, and it's it's full of Italians basically, and it's a it's a trading port, and everyone and like it, it used to be a load of, of individual city states, and here's here's the name of the place, and here's their cuisine, and here's different different regiments from it. Okay, what have we got now? Uh, space Marines, but they're old. But I mean, yeah, they're like old-fashioned Space Marines. Where are they from? Space. The time is Space Marines. They're from they're from heaven. They come in from heaven, and it's just, oh, I don't care about, they don't, like, they're fighting because they have to. They're fighting because Sigma has programmed them to. They're just giant glowing fucking robots, rather than, you know what, I want to make sure I can carry on eating pizza for the rest of my life. Wow. Oh, man, like, oh, like, well, like, all oh, the, these, these, these Skaven are, are, are going to come in and kill my nonna. <laughs> I want to stop them. <laughs> that's, that's a really good story at that point. It's, yeah. it's about fucking people. I, I, sorry, I get, I get. You get I riled. Bit. I get riled about it, and you the know? vitriol comes out. I just want, a, I want, I want a Warhammer where I can have a goblin grandma. That's all. That's fair. I think that's all anyone wants. It is. I think that's that, that's all of, all from us today. <laughs> Go out on some vitriol. Um, if you've enjoyed what you've heard so far, uh, you can you can back us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash hearty dice friends uh, we have a discord at the discord at the moment interrupting us throughout this conversation they've been posting i think screamo there, there was a there there was a talk of choirs yes there was talk of choirs and then just people roaring and then local and, uh, bands we and... had uh yeah we've had um uh disposable communion as well which is good um, I just, it's, it's, a, it's a great Discord, I like it a great deal and I happen to run it, which is lovely um, also, um, if you're interested in, in, in stepping up to the next tier of, of, of backing, uh, if, if for the $3 an episode we do a monthly hangout um, to, to say thank you to people who help us out um, we've developed a system which is actually really good for, for running games in it, which is um, we write down a load of ideas and put them in a hat and then people have to go and find the best example of that thing on the internet and then the winner gets a, a, um, a unique art drawn by drawn by me and Chris. Yes. And so, like, this week we had... What was it? We had Tastiest Breakfast. Mm. Um, most Wholesome Sonic Fan Art. Which is what the winner chose to have drawn for them. Mm, yeah. Most Expensive HDMI Cable. Most Egregious Use of Steampunk. A Boyfriend for Chris. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of orcs. 
And yeah. these were um, it's it's surprising. It would be basically send you on a scavenger hunt and you can win prizes. And it's a really lovely way of spending an hour and a half on a Wednesday night. Uh, we're going to be running the next one on Wednesday the twentieth. Yeah, yeah. So two weeks time. We're running the next one on Wednesday the twentieth. So if but, you're in, if you if you're interested, come along. But crucially, what the patron does, it lets us do this, which is yes. amazing. Yes, my God, sorry, I should also mention that. We're yeah, you really should. We're up to $69 an episode, which is um, nice. Because <laughs> it's, it's the sex number. Because it's the see? sex number, but thank, you, thank number. you all so much. Yeah, thank you so much, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, also, you can follow us on Twitter at HDF Podcast. Um, if you want, want to send us an email, we are heartydicefriends at gmail.com uh, to ask us some questions, or just simply post it on Reddit, and I hope it does well. Mm, upvotes. Uh, upvotes gets you in the podcast. Yeah, um, that's us for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You've um, been lovely. Also, also, Chris, I just want to say I want to. I'm not sure about the way we say goodbye at the end of the episode either. Okay, I think it's a bit wacky. Okay, so maybe, well, like, can you think of like a like a like a closing catchphrase we have? Goodbye. And it's not. It's not quite. You know, it's not quite the snappy. I don't know. Closer, which okay. Listeners, if you have any ideas, sorry, friends, if you have any ideas for... Oh, I like that already. That's nice, isn't it? Mm. Friends, if you have any ideas for things we can say, please do send them in, because we use up all of our good ideas on writing books. So please do send them in. Uh, until then, I've been Cron Howard. And I've been Chris Taylor. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.